For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. A choice right now, right now, between fear and love. It's just a run. Out of the dark night of ignorance and into the shining light of truth. Expounding reality. A population of citizens capable of critical thinking. We don't see things as they are, we see them as we are. There's a, a level of reality where everything dissolves into a, an ocean of energy. We empower our experience by insisting on our authenticity. That's very profound. Very good. Expanding reality. You like that? Very much looking forward to having you on, dude. It's been a minute. It, I'm shocked, but not shocked, divine timing-wise, that it took us this long to connect. I've been a big fan of yours for a while. been following your work, and um, I'm just grateful to introduce you to this side of the audience if they haven't heard of you. So to that point, my friend, would you mind introducing yourself for those that may not be too familiar? It was weird having somebody tell me that they're a fan of mine. I, n- I never thought when I, was, when I first started doing this that I'd get to where it got, and yeah, it's keeps keeps on going but every time somebody asks me for an introduction i i always say the same thing i'm just a regular guy i work a regular nine to five have a family and i just really enjoy researching interesting topics and having interesting conversations because i don't think that we take it for granted when we're talking about these subjects especially having guests on that are around the same kind of mindset that we can have conversations such as these, because when you're out in the real world, when I'm out at Disney world or at, at, at Walmart or wherever you are in the real world, not everyone is into this kind of subject matter. Right. So I, I just, my, my show was born out of asking hard questions with me. It was with religion at first. And then from there, I think once you start to peel that apart, you start to question other aspects of your own reality. And ever since I was a kid, I was always drawn to the weird, the strange, right? The 14, like these aspects of, of the nature of reality essentially is what it is. And I started with the Bermuda Triangle is one of the things that really captivated me when I was a kid at first, the Bermuda Triangle being that it connects two places of where I've lived, Puerto Rico and Florida. And there's something about the, the Bermuda triangle enigma that always captivated me. And then from there went to like Bigfoot and all these different things. But yeah, I started with religion. And once I started asking people questions who, what I thought had the best, I guess the best intentions for me in mind, right? Like family who's supposed to be watching out for you. When you start to ask them questions and they kind of hesitate, or tell you to stay away from certain things. It's like any, any kid, man, any little kid, I have children. They're going to ask you why, why'd you say no? And it's, it just spiraled out of control. And I still consider myself 
a Christian, right? So like my, my upbringing, but I'm a little bit more open-minded and more comfortable with certain topics and certain things that I talk about than the regular Christian, if you will. Right. Like I, I, I can get pretty far out there and yeah, man, I'm just here to have fun. I love researching. I love drawing. I love history really. And I love drawing interesting facts, like these things that I love getting that piece of information to where you, when you read it or whatever it is, you go, Oh, that's why this is making sense. And why 50 other things that I've read about in the past are making sense now, right? Like you, it just like this connection in, in your, in everything. And, and I love that aspect of researching. And honestly, man, like I've been thinking lately, it's like a lot of the research that I do is not that it's like divine or, or, or divinatory in any sort of way, but it's like intuitive. Like you research sometimes me, for example, I research things that I find interesting. And sometimes I don't have a plan that I'm going to research this one thing for this next episode. It just kind of sort of happens like, Hey, I'm just scanning, reading some books or articles or papers or whatever. It's like, Oh, I want to learn more about this now. And then you just go down. So it's like, almost like you go with the flow. And I think that's part of, of my success. Cause I talk about things that I enjoy that I like to learn about. And if you're having fun in the process, I think people start to see that you're starting to have fun. It's part of, of what I call the alchemical process. Everyone's different. Everyone's process is different. What works for you might not work for me, vice versa. Right. So yeah, man, I'm, I'm here to ask the hard questions and have a good time while doing it essentially. <laughs> well, you do it. And like I said, I'm a fan for exactly what you just said. You have a very open, curious nature, which I mean, that uh, calls to me like crazy. Plus you're clever as fuck with your name, dude. The one-on-one -on -one podcast. Come on, dude. That's brilliant. As well as the comic book, of course, the chosen one. Um, and all of these amazing things that you're involved in that really uh, bring forth your imagination. And what I love about your shows is, is going through the material with you is this, uh, you, you take us on a journey and it's a journey that follows your curiosity, which I think that that's beautiful. And that's really kind of, you know, what we do here. And it's, it's just tying these pieces together that you didn't think were related, but then at being at least having a strong enough flashlight, I would say to walk down the dark tunnels, you know, and say, let's just take a look at what's over here, no matter where it leads you. And that's something I love about the work that you do. And you do pull some amazing things out of the wayside. So of course, uh, all the ways to find him, guys, located down in the show description, his podcast website, Patreon, all the good stuff. You're over on Rockfin as well. Uh, check these things out. Uh, again, a fan, sir. So it's good to hang out with you. So first and foremost, I've got to talk to you about the Hermunculus. You you have this incredible um, research that you've done with it. And you've done some really cool things with it, as well as uh, the Hermunculus owner's manual. So if you don't mind, man, tell us all about that. So, yeah, the, the Hermunculus owner's manual... Uh, by paranoid American shout out to him. You should, you should have him on if you haven't shout already. Out. Oh, Thomas is awesome. Yeah. He's amazing. And the, it came forth from in the, in this community sometimes, right. I've always been taught, if you're going to do something, be the best you can be at it. Like be the number one, you know, be at the top, right. Want, and, and maybe not in this round because there's so much material and so many different content creators that are great but be among the top tier, right? Offer the, the, the best that you can and bring forth the, the, the top notch research or whatever it is that you, that you're going to, you know, you're going to do. And so 
I've always wanted to be known for something. And, and unfortunately, or fortunate, whatever, it came to be this homunculus phenomenon, but it stemmed from my curiosity of alchemy. And alchemy is this topic that I call it an inter interdimensional topic, figuratively and literally, because essentially what alchemy is, is, is manipulating matter symbolically or literally in a way where you're then able to unlock this hidden aspect of reality. And, and quite literally, according to the literature and according to those that have talked about it, you're then able to step outside of reality and control it from that perspective. And I mean, if that isn't power, I don't know what the elites would be after if it wasn't for that aspect. And if you really think about it, all the things that we've been presented in society is this is a lot of sigils right a lot of corporations have different sigils they manipulate things around to have a certain effect on people's consciousness right to and the, more of the subconscious than anything and, and the occult that i study a lot as well the subconscious plays a, a, a very big role right the ego and all these different things play a big role and it's something about dissolving that away and being able to kind of exist freely away from that is really what these cultists from what I've seen really strive for. So the more I looked into alchemy, I wanted to understand it. Like I wanted to really figure it out. And every time I would look into it, it'd just be, see all these cryptic symbols and, and drawings that are really cool. And I'm like, man, what does this all really mean? So I've been doing that ever as long as I can remember. As soon as I started really my podcast, it's been about four years now. And quite honestly, I haven't, I don't think I know much more now than I did before I started looking into it. Cause that's just the way that more these questions, things work right? It's more questions. I did dude on uh, Andrew Benjamin. We were all part of something. And one of the things I remember that he said was uh, the answer to life is the mastery of questions. And I just thought that that was brilliant. I wrote it down. It's on a sticky note. Uh, it, it's one of those things that we're really, when you look at it, all we're doing with alchemy, with everything, if you ask the right questions, you'll be able to alchemize anything. And that's that's what it's really about is self-discovery. I love the love the perspective you have on this, brother, please. Yeah, and, and if you think about it, I consider, because somebody once asked me, like, what what do you think the modern alchemist looks like? And I go, well, the modern alchemist has has many faces. It's He looks like you and I. I was on a show. Was like, he looks like you and I. We're how you're saying this alchemy of questions. Well, depending on how the alchemy of the conversation goes, you're transmuting people's ideas and thoughts real time. They're unlocking things in their mind that they wouldn't have otherwise thought about if it wasn't for this conversation that we're having. But you have to be able to maneuver that conversation in a sort of way. How you're saying ask the right questions to extract the right answers and vice versa, right? So that to me, any exchange of energy, any exchange, attention, right, is alchemy. And when you do a transaction with money, and if you trace back the origins of money, according to some esoteric researchers, I won't say any names, but it's alchemical in nature, right? The uh, alchemy gave birth to the modern day banking system. Now it gets a little weird because they might've been in touch with entities on the other side, right? That, that were communicating with them, but that's besides the point. And alchemy consists of various things that the alchemist wants to achieve. And one of those is, right, the philosopher's stone, which... A lot of people have heard of Harry Potter and all these different things in the media. You have the elixir of life, you know, people like St. Germain, 
all these guys that are that are existing for a very long time. Uh, the patriarchs in the Bible might have had access to this as well, right? The pieces of the philosopher's stone or the elixir of, and that's why they were able to live for so long. And then you have the divine androgen, which is kind of weird. It's like this hermaphrodite kind of being. It gets into like Falconelli uh, territory there, where he's like. Uh, I call it the cross-dressing Falconelli where uh, Eugenia Consolier sees him. And he's like, wait, that was Falconelli as a woman. Like, whoa, what's going on? <laughs> what? Yeah, it's very weird. And then you get into the artificial creation of life where, again, either the golem or the homunculus, which came into existence in the 16th century, come into play. And this has really, I don't know if I did something in the collective to birth and no pun intended this concept but yeah. in the media they've been talking about creating entities creating artificial beings and the ethics behind that and and me as i consider myself an alchemist and i've been recently playing with the idea of ramping up my alchemical i'm working on a book on the homunculus so i've been kind of head first and, and really nose down in a lot of these works and all of these sources that I'm using, but I'm going to ramp it up to not, not to create a homunculus, but to do some practical alchemy. And I want to invest this in some equipment to actually try and do some of these works that these alchemists were, were doing right. Practical alchemy, spagyrics, whatever it is you want to call it. Uh, but I think I'm, I'm ready. I'm, I'm tired of reading about the theory of things and I want to put it into application, if you will. Right. Yeah. And I don't know what that's going to do, but again, it could, I could be opening up a can of worms. I, I could not be, I mean, I don't know what's going to happen, but I think that there's something to, for example, reading a physical book versus reading a digital book. There's something about 100%. that experience of working with your, of journaling. When you write things down, there's something magical happening. And if you notice, they're trying to take us away from that. So there's something to that aspect of reality uh, more connectedness to to the work, the art, right? The great work, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and I'm ready to take that next step after reading about all these things. But yeah, the the artificial creation of life, which is something that I believe man has been wanting to do and we have been doing in a, in a sort of way since the beginning of time, but not in the procreational type of way of, you know, doing a man and woman we know what happens when they come together well these guys knew that back then they're like okay well if, if my seed and a woman creates a a person i can Damn create person a person <laughs> a person right a whole a whole human being will come out of me doing this thing yeah what happens if i take my seed and i put it in a different matrix right a womb and then they According to the literature, they did try to do this, and some did allegedly achieve this artificial creation of life. And the alchemical homunculus is, is really the 16th century one, but the literature exists before that of the same concept, this humanoid figure that came forth from the seed and, and incubation putrefaction, because they believe that back then through the rotting came forth life. And that's part of one of the alchemical processes, the putrefaction, right? You putrefy, then you purify yourself after the fact. And again, right, the the rising from the ashes type of thing. But they believe that that the chicken was actually warming the egg up enough to where it would putrefy and rot. 
and from that rotting came forth the little chick. That's what they that's what they believed. It's okay, an interesting obviously. perspective, though. It's it's metaphorical. You can it's scalable metaphorically. Yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I like it. And again, they they weren't they they were off a bit. We know that. But the interesting part of all all this is that it's coming from people who were innovators even till today. It's in it, and they were following Aristotelian biology, which you got spontaneous generation, and you have sexual generation. Obviously, sexual man woman, right? And then spontaneous A plus B equals C spontaneously. And they called themselves natural philosophers at first. It was natural magic because, hey, God put these things in nature. He, If he wouldn't have wanted me to mix A plus B to get C, then he wouldn't have put it he there to begin with. He wouldn't have put it there. That's right. It's the you weed know? argument. Uh, God just yeah. left all this weed laying around. You know, you're not supposed <laughs> to use it, though, right? <laughs> And it's like the physician and magician back then, they, they were both the same thing. The physician was de-occulting the occulted aspects of nature to benefit man. So again, what was already there, we're just pulling the weeds out to get to the, to the trunk of things, right? And use that to our benefit. And again, they, they were like, okay, so this thing, this, the seed is divine. So I'm going to start mixing it everywhere. And I'm going to put it in cow. I'm going to put it in a sheep. I'm going to put it in a horse. And according to the literature, they were creating these, these magical beings essentially is what a homunculus is. And homunculus before pre 16th century, pre Paracelsian homunculus is it, it, it took on a few different word, a few different names. It was known as, as the form the child, the substance. I've seen it called before the 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 stone, I think I, I heard it called before. And and I think that the homunculus, I think, was the the artificial generation of life was the true magnum opus, the true great work. Because why would I want a stone or why would I want an elixir of life when I could have a magical little being that would lead me to treasure, would divinate for me. And then if I really want to get sick with it, I'll dissect it and then use its body parts for magical purposes, which is part of the homunculus lore. And I think the reason that people are so drawn to this concept, I'll be honest, is because of that morbid curiosity that people have because it gets dark. This is like the darker side of things where you're quite literally creating a being and then taking part of its body and essentially cannibalizing it is what you're doing. If you want to, because there's stories of you can love your homunculus and you can just be buddies with it and you, it'll grow into old age. And when it grows into old age, it becomes a mythological creature like a dwarf or a giant or like this other thing. So it kind of accounts for cryptids, maybe like is Bigfoot, some sort of alchemical being that was born into existence or maybe the first few Bigfoot or big feet. I don't know how you would say like plural. Yeah. How are, is that plural? Yeah. I guess it, I think it's big foot big feet, big feet. I, I maybe the word before it, like those big feet <laughs> or that big foot. You know what I mean? Maybe the I word don't know. before it. All right. I'm sure somebody will know, but we can you look guys it write up. us in, you know, write it in. That'd be great. Appreciate it. Is it, what is the plural of big foot? Yeah, that's good. It's, the more, you know, right. So right. the, and then the, the whole, that I think that morbid curiosity of people. And when you, and there was actual, books on these operations on how to create these beings how to create these things and 
there's a few. So I'm talking about the alchemical homunculus and to give more context to people are like, oh, well, OK, that seems kind of well. I mean, the the homunculus that we all are familiar with that you don't really think about it being a homunculus that's been put in, in our in our collective, I guess, since the very beginning is the voodoo doll which the voodoo doll has nothing to really do with voodoo, but the voodoo doll is a simulacra of man. And it's one of the forms of, it's, it's the representation of man in either a wood form, mud form, whatever. I mean, you know, the whole thing. And then they sympathetically in a sympathetic magical way, they link it to the person by tying their hair or their toenails or whatever it is. But that's a homunculus, the representation of a man or a being is the voodoo doll and then you have other versions that paracelsus got into but that concept has be, really been planted in, in our subconscious and also there's other forms of i mean in, in neuroanatomy there's the cortex man and if you look up the picture of the cortex man it's like this weird representation of a man with like big lips big hands and that's an actual medical term homunculus it's a representation of the neural pathways that your brain uh, how how much of certain body parts your brain uses according and everyone's homunculus is different. So if you're left-handed, maybe your left hand on your homunculus is bigger than my homunculus. I'm right-handed. You know what I'm saying? So it depends. And also there's a, there's a link to it with traumas and how traumas and stimuli outside of your environment, right? In your environment affect your homunculus. So quite literally, we all have a homunculus within ourselves now. And there's the philosophical it's called the cartesian theater where back then they were like hey if i'm seeing who you know who's in my head seeing like how am i interpreting these ideas that i'm seeing they're like oh so there's a little version of me inside of my head and they're like but wait a minute no that's not it because then who's in his head oh there's probably a little another little person a little, another homunculus inside that homunculus is it's like wait a minute so it's homunculus all the way down ad infinitum so that's the homunculus fallacy or homunculus argument that came forth from that and it also came but, forth from because somebody found that weed that god laid around <laughs> everywhere yeah they're just like smelling like yeah. how am you i seeing right now bro you well, know who's what I'm seeing what i'm seeing bro is there a little <laughs> man in me right now bro yeah exactly yeah. so they, they, they thought that i mean and, and you can even go further back where i've noticed that the homunculus takes like this it, almost like an evolution it, it goes from like a metaphysical concept to an actual physical one and, and my, one of my favorite versions it's the Taoist homunculus where the Taoist is more you know like this this chinese sort of Taoism, japanese right that whole area there and they were more obsessed with finding this elixir of life and they were quite literally they were drinking mercury to try and extend their lives for Right, for a long time and you had emperors dying of mercury poisoning because i'm sure that they had alchemists in their court where they're like hey drink this i'm sure it's gonna help you and it's like oh my hair's falling out and my teeth is falling out it's like well because you got doing mercury great. poisoning yeah you're doing good right <laughs> and, and that's funny because funny you say that because part of the lure once you were to achieve the magnum opus i, I talked about the putrefaction well sometimes these alchemists would write about taking some of this philosopher's stone or elixir of life and they would talk about this metamorphosis that they would go through, where they would lose their hair, their nails would fall out, they would grow new ones, their teeth would fall out, they would grow new ones, and they were rejuvenated. And they would they would come back a more youthful. And again, 
it could have been that. It could have been like, yo, you're just being poison right now, <laughs> yeah, bro. bro you know? You're being poison. And so that's the question. <laughs> Maybe the dose was this. It's just sort of a refresh. It's a reset. And it's I don't feel any different than any other divination tool in that way then because, that well, it, it makes a physical effect on you. So you have a more powerful voice behind whatever you say that it's doing. So maybe that was the thing is that they found things that would uh, like do dramatically uh, challenging effects to your actual physical body. Call it this Phoenix effect, you know, this sort of, oh man, you're doing great. You're, you're crushing it. You're getting down to the guy that, uh, that Smeagol dude and the ring He's you're, you're doing awesome. <laughs> and then once you shed this brother, you're going to be back on the other side. So they only give them enough poison you just enough physical effects go through, boom, you're back. Uh, Bob's your uncle. And now this dude is the alchemist, man. And he can, he's now, he can hang out with the king. It's, it's a wild uh, manipulation, but do you think that there's something bigger to it than that? Do you think that those kind of stories maybe are meant to scare one off, even in, even from an alchemist's perspective? Because you could see if it was just easily obtainable, we'd have a bunch of dickheads running around with doing all sorts of things they shouldn't, perhaps. So I, I find even things like that, although awesome and, and we can have fun with it, may even still be sort of a seed, if you want to stick with the metaphor of distrust, because you want to kind of People may get to that part of the process and go, well, fuck that, you know, and then bounce. And that's fine, you know, but people who are researching it further, maybe you see there's some deeper connections to that kind of stuff. So you, you, you just blew my mind without really knowing that you just blew my mind because the dose makes the poison. That's the father of toxicology and the father of toxicology was Paracelsus. Yeah. The, that- br- the, the bringer of the homunculus, the, the daddy of homunculus. So because of him, we they know to give you just enough morphine to put you under and know just how much to take off to bring you back. So because of him. So imagine him trying to, again, almost poisoning himself, trying to create, because from these works of these alchemists came forth chemistry. So from this woo-woo aspect of wanting to right go through this putrefaction yourself or purification, whatever, we have chemistry because of this guy who was trying to find, uh, you know, do a transmutation, we have porcelain. We have the whole trade of porcelain because of some dude who was trying to transmute lead into gold. Toilets. Right? Nice. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. The gold, exactly. The throne, whatever you would like. So, and Turned something into something. Yeah, exactly. And one thing that, that you're, that you're touching on, which is something that I, I still don't know about that if if they were actually onto something or not. That and that's one of the things that fascinates me that it's such a huge part of history, and yet sometimes alchemists were like, "Oh no, they were just it was just a precursor to chemistry, just early science." They really weren't on. There were charlatans. There were just con men, right? Edward Kelly was a con man, and he was taking advantage of John D, right? Or you know, Rudolph the second or whatever it was like all these, these aspects of history that people just disregard as too woo woo or too, too crypt. Cause I think that the part of alchemists were a secret society. So this aspect of only the initiated, only the people who were committed enough to go through this journey of wanting to find the philosopher's stone that was the self-initiation the, the suffering the the endless hours in front of the furnace that some alchemists talk about how the front of their robes or their their garments would be discolored from the constant heat of this furnace being you know hitting up their fronts a lot of these guys were 
sick. They were, they were po- again, poisoning themselves with all these different chemicals. Only those that really, truly want it, not all of them will achieve it, right? Not, not all of them will, will be able to say that they achieved the magnum opus. But those that did wrote about it. And that's essentially what's encoded in these pictures where I've been studying the the alchemical symbolism and the and this these texts because and and again woe to those who accept the allegorical ramblings of an alchemist you have, always have to keep that in mind because i think that is part of uh, throwing you off track but how manly p hall has said before the alchemist is working on four different layers of reality simultaneously so maybe you're on the right track practically with what you're doing with your hands but you're not how, how we did at the beginning, right? Getting yourself in that state of mind. Maybe you're not all here. You're doing the the chemistry part of it. You're doing it. You're great, bro. Keep it up. But then you're not doing certain other parts that need to line up. And that's why Paracelsus also said the alchemist needs to purify himself before he can achieve the magnum opus. Yes. So there's something, again, spiritual about this, this concept. <laughs> and I've been studying the alchemical symbolism and the literature is one thing, but the alchemical symbolism, I've been studying it from, and I don't want to say unorthodox way, because this it's coming from a well-known source, Adam McLean. And what I love about Adam McLean, which is an OG in the alchemical community, I've been studying his works and his courses on alchemical symbolism. And the way that he really portrays it, it's a lot different than a lot of people, because the way that he's really adamant about it, and I think this is why maybe perhaps we won't ever get to the source of it, is that he's very adamant about the people who are bringing forth interpretations that are post this period. So if an alchemist drew this plate, right, and if they drew a series of plates, you can't just take one plate and pull it and and you know, tra- uh, interpret it out of context. So it, it's meant to be interpreted in the series of plates. Okay. Simultaneously with the other plates. Okay. So that's one aspect of it. Yeah. Like Iron Man, whenever he had all the pieces of his armor on different sheets of see-through paper, but you had to stack them together and then they made the Iron Man and you could see it uh, all together. I, kn- I know that that's, that's cool. But yeah, again, in the first movie, cause he had the wax paper, he had to like hide it. Yeah. So that, see something like that. And then he's like, he, his courses are like, Hey, listen, do this and don't take, forget the tarot, forget the Kabbalah, forget the, the, the tree of life, forget all that stuff. Don't look at it like that. It's like interpret it this sort of way. So it's very, um, um, and I want to say almost matter of fact, but the way that he's going about it, there's a method to his madness. And not until you actually like going through the course that he has and all that stuff and, and, and really interpreting it. Are you going to be able to grasp what I'm saying? But I almost feel like there's not like a mystical aspect to it when I'm looking at it from that point, because when we're looking at something or like, we're like decoding a movie or something, we want to interpret it how we want, we, we want to project our interpretation onto that piece. And I, and we all do this constantly, like, right. Art subjective, man. It's like, no, 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 no. When it came to alchemy, it was very matter of fact. And there's something to that where you're not, you're again, back again to this whole, you have to put your ego aside almost and don't inter that he constantly reminds you, resist the urge to interpret it and become one with the, with the painting, with the picture, with the plate, become one with it. And it's going to come to you. So again, 
this whole technical mumbo jumbo to then kind of like it gets kind of woo woo where you have to meditate on it. It's interesting because part of the alchemical lure is that these plates that we see of all these operations of, of showing you the process in which you're able to go through to achieve this magnum opus, those were mandalas for these alchemists. They were meditative pieces where the alchemist would quite literally enter this painting, enter this plate and do his work in the plate, in the, the laboratory that they had sketched out in this painting. So it's like, like Mary some... Poppins when they had the chalk and they jump in the drawing. Yes. Like it's in exactly. another dimension, but it physically, exactly. you physically construct it, but it's not done here. It's like a, Dude, like a memory. Shit. Like, how do we do that, man? Are you, are you to that point in your alchemist yet? So one of my favorite, one of my favorite activities is so there's something about, and again, I don't, I don't want to bring like Jungian psychology into it because Jung, he had interpreted alchemy as in his sort of way. And I want to stay away from that because part of, of alchemy and, and, and let's just say magic, magic itself is, I've always described it as the force. You're able to tap into it, right? You have the Sith and you have the Jedi. They both tap into the same source. They both use it differently. So depending on which path of magic you're on, right? If you're a magician or whatever it is that you want to call yourself, you can tap into this force. You can use it for whatever, which way you want. And I think it's the same thing when it comes to, you know, uh, this system, you can take a system that's going to tap into this force and you can tailor it to your needs. Okay. So that's why, you know, like the golden Dawn, their basis is Enochian magic, but it's different from the Enochian that John D and Edward Kelly were using. John D and Edward Kelly never called it Enochian, but again, this group took that. And then from there stemmed other practices, right. That are able to use that same system. So point being is that you can use any system that you want, you can modify it for your needs. So I see this in alchemy as well, where Young takes and it was like, hey, these dudes maybe weren't creating change in reality. They were create, they were the first self-help people. They were tricking their minds into thinking a sort of way and therefore bringing this change forth. But it was from like the subconscious, you know, mind, psychological perspective, right? Not nothing in the real world, but the literature says otherwise, like there was there, Leibniz, the father of, of binary code, who was also obsessed with Descartes. He was obsessed with, he went around collecting stories of transmutation of, of people who were turning lead into gold. The guy who invent, who was the father of the ones and zeros in your computer right now, who came up with the idea of monadology and the, and the monad, because they wanted to encapsulate God into a substance. And there's always there's always something about that. Again, the homunculus gives its creator godlike powers. And then fast forward 17th, 19th century. And then you have the guys who were at the forefront of the computer wanting to encapsulate the power of God into a substance. Charles Babbage, the father of the modern computer, trying to summon the devil, trying to, he saw God as a substance as well. So they were trying to they wanted to tap into the divine, the monad, the source, the one, the Godhead, whatever it was, by any means necessary. And I think that these alchemists were doing just that, right? They were tapping into this sort of divine power, if you will, through their operations, right? Through whatever it was that they were doing. And so 
forgot where I was at, but the whole point of systems being adapted to the practitioner. Okay. Where young took it and he made it his own thing, but I'm at in my point, what I like to do before going to bed, because referring to Carl Jung, where you're in this hypnagogic state, right? There's something about when you're super exhausted. I don't know if it happens to you, but sometimes at this, there's like this threshold where sometimes you can come up with ideas, right? When you're about to fall asleep, you're almost like hallucinating when you're about to fall asleep, but you're not there yet, but you're kind of relax in that state where you're about to cross over to the other side, which I believe dreams and, and, you know, these other states of consciousness are other real are other realms, right? I think our dreams are portals to other realities, but when I am heavily into an alchemical book, like the, like Saturday night, I was four hours deep into this alchemical book. And I was, and, and this is why I was mentioning at the beginning, it's almost like an intuitive and like, it comes to you in some sort of way. I'm reading this book and I'm noticing that I'm intaking a lot of information that I'm not processing, right? I'm, I'm like, okay, let me, let me get to this. Let me start over. Let me, but first let me take a break. Let me take a five, 10 minute break, really digest what I just came up with. And then I'll continue. And I, and I spent like four hours doing that where I would read something. I'm like, yo, this, this is crazy, son. This is, this is wild. And it was like one in the morning. I'm like, all right, let me go to sleep. And this is not the first time it's happened to me. But my dreams will be bizarre because, and the reason I think that is, is, and again, I had some weird, I had paintings talking about like alchemical plates that I was, that I saw while, that while I was reading, talking to me in the dream, right? And the reason I say it's because I believe that this art can also un, uh, unlock things in your mind, right? Like again, open you up, if you will. And some people might see that as a bad thing. Other people might see it as a good thing, but they can open you up and unlock things in your subconscious that, and I think that again, these different layers of reality that you have to extract. And it almost sounds like quantum computing. If you listen to any seminar or anything about quantum computing, they go, oh yeah, we reach into parallel dimensions and extract information that we might be able to use here. It's like, well, <laughs> what if these alchemists were again reaching into these parallel dimensions through their tech because it's a form of technology and bringing forth that information because a lot of these guys weren't just any regular Joe Schmo people right Paracelsus the father of toxicology a lot of the stuff that we use in in medical procedures are attributed to him this crazy typical mad scientist mad wizard he had a sword that he carried around with him all the time and people said that he had a little homunculus in the in the butt of the sword that would that would bring him riches and he had made a deal with the devil and all these crazy he had a horse that would never tire because the devil gave it to him like all these crazy ideas that came forth from this guy but yet their impact was so substantial even until the, the 21st century and there's something to be said about that maybe that's the real immortality the not your bodily mortality or anything like that, but the impact. And I think Crowley said something about that once upon a time in one of his books, where it's like it's not that I want to live forever myself. It's the impact that I'm that I'm giving, that I'm right, that what people are going to remember me for. And maybe that's why they have the faces of certain people on the dollar bills and our money, and they name certain streets after certain people, right? Certain states. A lot of the things that we use today. We don't know their origins, right? We don't know where they came from. We just use them. So you don't know if you're carrying the intention of some magician or some alchemist once upon a time. 
if it wasn't for alchemy, we wouldn't have, uh, what is it when you distill it? Is it, is it not, not moonshine, but vodka and certain, and certain drinks, we wouldn't have that. If it wasn't for alchemy. I mean, those, again, a lot of things came forth from that era that continued to amaze me. And there's so much more than just the homunculus. The homunculus, again, like I said, I think people are drawn to that because it's like this morbid curiosity of like, hey, this grimoire says you got to beat this cow carcass with the biggest dog penis you can find. It's like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> how? That's, how that's do what you, he said. We got to do it. That's what it. Um, that's what this <laughs> translation what and the other one's like. The other translation is like, no, you got to put the dog penis on top of the cow carcass. Oh, okay, okay. Oh, so man. it's like, again, but the problem with with that whole ideology is. That's even if let's say that that was symbolic, someone's going to try that, like literally. Yeah, look and at I, Tide Pods. Yeah. Look at what? Tide Pods. We have an example of this in, in reality. Like when someone says, hey, you shouldn't probably do something, uh, kids go out and do it anyway. Remember Tide Pods? They ate oh, the yeah. detergent and shit. Absolutely. No, I, yeah, I, I saw that, that. And again, to the uninitiated, all right, I forgot what but was it Rosicrucian symbolism or something by I forgot his name, but to the uninitiated, the text means one thing. And to the initiated, the text means something completely different. And that's the problem with with a lot of this stuff that we're taking it for face value and it might not be meant to be taken at face value. And not in not unless you're dedicated enough to take the plunge. Are you ever going to extract whatever secrets were trying to be portrayed? And to me, dude, I've I've read numerous alchemical texts, and I've translated alchemical texts. Okay, I've I've translated quite a few alchemical texts, and like I told you, there's something elusive about the phenomenon, about this this even this this whole subject matter where it it does quite literally transform in front of you as you're trying to interpret it. And there's a certain alchemist that wrote about that, that, that said that if you're, if you're looking into these occult subjects, they're going to always, they're going to always transform into other things. They're always going to constantly be moving around because, and I think that's why we have a lot of, or have had a lot of secret societies and these secret groups, right? The Eleusinian mysteries and all these things that we don't really know about, but to be quite honest, I don't think that they even knew what they were talking about. Like the more I look into it, I don't think that they understood fully what was really going on. I think that they were on the same path that we're on now, like trying to understand these things and go, they went about it a certain type of way, how we're going about it a certain type of way. But I think all mysteries and even religions are tied into this, this thing. And I want to say, it's like, it might just be God. It might just be, and not right. The Abrahamic, old man sitting on a throne in heaven. I'm talking about like source. It doesn't have to be a humanoid or whatever. And it could just be an energy, just something that you're able to tap into that is divine is perfect, right? Is, is whatever it is. And I think people have tried to emulate that, emulate that aspect of, cause no matter what, man, even when look at any movie, look at anything. One of the things that these guys were complaining about is that, these homunculus were vessels. They were empty because if there's one thing that man can do, man can emulate a lot. Man can try to make something as close as possible that came from nature, but not quite. So when they made the homunculus, 
a lot of them were imperfect. Some of them didn't talk. Some of them, you know, they were, they were empty. And there's something to be said about that because whenever you're looking at like some animation or something, as a human being, you know that there is no soul to it. You know, there's something missing about it, that divine spark maybe. But whenever you watch, and I always refer to the same to the same example, I think it's like Love, Sex, and Robots or something like that, or Love, Death, and Robots on Netflix. And it's like this whole animated series, but it's done so well that I'll be honest, to me, when I first saw it, I'm like, is this is this animated? Is this CGI? What is this? Because it looks so light, but then something will tell you that it's fake. Something will tell, like if you look at any deep fake or AI video, yes, they've gotten great. They've gotten amazing at it. There's always a movement as a human being that you're able to tell that there's something off about that. So man can never emulate a soul. And this is one of those ethical aspects of the homunculus that they were arguing about, that they're arguing about today. As, as late as last month, I saw an article in China. They created an entity, uh, something without a mother or father. But then people start asking questions like, yo, are they going to have to pay taxes? Like, are they going to get a social security number? Like, yeah, who yeah. who are they? Like, are they human? Like, are they actual human? And is there some secret soldier program going on where kids get taken or embryos are just doing done like this all the time, like attack of the clones or something like that, where they have this just clone army of people, but maybe individuated, but maybe no, like you said, a level down or a step down in that glimmer, but you can tell something's a little bit off. And then you can get into like the whole NPC thing where maybe some people are here for texture, which I don't really subscribe to that. Cause I don't think that, I don't think it goes as far as that. If, if, if there's any sort of homunculus running around, it's probably a homunculus like in the white house, like, Hey, that family aligned the birth of that one person in power to be, you know, Gemini rising with a moon, whatever, like some astrological alignment. And therefore they were born through C-section on this exact time because they wanted to encapsulate the powers of said elemental or whatever. And there's literature about Crowley wrote about that. He had his own formula again of a homunculus. He was very familiar with the alchemical homunculus of the 16th century. And he took that formula and adjusted the, the system to fit his needs. So then you had Crowley writing about this. And some say that through the, these writings of, of his, he inspired Jack Parsons to do his Babylon working with L. Ron Hubbard and do all these crazy things that allegedly manifested Marjorie Cameron, right? Or he was supposed to impregnate Marjorie Cameron to give birth to this moon child or this being, this entity that they were talking about. So again, if it's, if it's supposed to be symbolic, well, these guys were kind of taking the theology and the, and the not theology, but the, the theoretical aspect of it and putting it in the practical. Okay. So this dude was, he took, he took Crowley's works and he created his own system to be, and he, he thought he was saving the universe by doing this. He thought he believed that he was saving the universe by giving birth to this elemental and birthing into existence. And I, and I don't think it stops there because I've, I've traced connections back that go as close as Jeffrey. I believe Jeffrey Epstein was also trying to do this. There's the whole things at his Zorro ranch. That's 33,339 square feet. Well, that's, that's, that's bizarre because according to Crowley, the, the setting need to need to be, need to equal certain geometric alignments, right? Certain 
things need to be aligned in the actual architecture, right? He also was trying to impregnate like 30 something women at the same time in his Zoro Ranch in the Land of Enchantment near the Trinity site, which if you follow Michael Hoffman and Downard's research, they said in that capsule, they were trying to also make a homunculus. And if you look at that one show, what's it called? The show that Isaac Weishaupt is always talking about. What's his, what's the name of that show? Anyways, there's a nuclear explosion and it brings forth this entity named Bob. Is it Twin Peaks? And I haven't watched it, but from what I've heard, there's something about the again nuclear explosion opening up rifts in space and time for these things to come through. So I think these guys were tapping into that, right? They tap into these parallels along the world, these dragon lines, whatever you want to call them. And they use these energies. So even if you don't believe it, and by you, I mean, whoever's listening or, you know, thinks otherwise like, oh, this is all BS. That's okay. Because there's grown ass dudes dressing up in certain regalia or gear doing ceremonies in certain buildings. Again, insert any secret society, Masonic, otherwise, whatever, who cares? You do whatever you do behind closed doors is your own, is your own thing, but they're acting these things out. So there's something to the phenomenon of magic or the occult that rings true to certain people who want to try to use it to achieve some sort of means. Okay. And, and that's the dangerous part about it. Cause there's people who actually believe in this. Like, look at the, look at the King, bro. He dresses up with a crown and a, and a, I forgot what they call it. And a, a Globus Cruciger. Sash, a, dude. He's got a little sash going. Got a, got a cape, got every, got all kinds of stuff. It's like he's dressed, he's blinged out. It's like, well, the, all that stuff has a symbolic meaning on top of it looking good, right? It looks fly AF, but <laughs> it, it's got some other more higher meaning to it. You know what I'm saying? So it, it's, it, it goes deeper than what meets the end, what they're putting at the exoteric that they put out. And that's what I love to dig apart. Like, yo, why are there grown ass dudes in some, in some building somewhere doing a ritual and you know bohemian grove shit like that i mean it's it's wild let me ask you this because you got me on a tear on this i'm fascinating what you're saying and guys again check the show description down there to find all the ways to check out the one-on-one podcast as you can tell why i'm a fan here he's fantastic so go check it out he does all sorts of visuals and all kinds of things too so i want to ask you about atomic weapons and sort of splitting the fabric of time lately i've come to this new perspective about this place, this reality sort of a thing. And I'm entertaining it because I don't plant my flag, but I'm entertaining it under a very new lens. And that lens has brought me this idea, which is all it is, um, this idea that there is a hidden world here that's operating just above and all around us or whatever, but it's right outside of our visual ability to see it, you know, because we see fuck all for what's actually out there. Now to that, there's then symptoms, let's say, of different entities because we're basically vessels, I feel, for either this divine individuated spark that you can shine as bright as you want and shed off any sort of attachments or in, let's say, impositions from this other realm that's around us all the time. Let's say in the form of lowering your vibration, right? And maybe this was hidden in words like alcohol, right? The um, Arabic word for spirit. So a spirit inhabits you then maybe this is sort of the thing. You're tuning your frequency alchemically in all sorts of ways in all the levels, right? Maybe just this level is the lower rung of the impact of the effect. Let's just say this for hierarchical 
make it simple for everybody, sort of let's put a context to this for our minds. Let's say that there's four levels of this, right? And it could be expressed in any way. But these are the four bodies, let's say, that you need to line up. Your conscious, your super conscious, or your etheric body, your physical body, all those things. And let's say like a puppet on a string, all of these things are connected. And what you do to this one affects this one, affects that one, affects that one. And let's say that when you're down here in the physical, which is what we feel we're our consciousness is experiencing for whatever reason, then it seems like that this place can be, you can be tuned by the place or you can tune yourself to tune the place. And there's, you can tell this in exactly what you're talking about here, man. Yes, there's a lot hidden, but you're also bombarded by a ton. And I love also what you said is uh, to something, the effect you were saying earlier that because they're, oh, um, the technological side of it and uh, analog, like books, dude, I love that. I'm, I'm right there with you, which is why you're, when you're publishing real shit, I'm like, yes, you know, physical, tangible shit. You're, you understand the value of that, which says it goes deep. You know, it's more than you're not doing a cash grab. You, you understand about instilling that tangibility to this place. But even in that, let's say that there is this technocratic uh, lean to get everybody plugged into some sort of system. Now, I was uh, watching a presentation by Howdy Mikowski, and he was talking about what we have here in the physical or what it appears to be is that we're these beings, these physical vessels that can have all sorts of things inhabit us, but at, at our core, we have this divine spark that again, you tune, but yes, you'll, you'll lean one way or another. You find the dark, you find the light, but this middle path, this, this alchemist way, this middle um, way of looking at things, and to what he was talking about, Howdy, in this representation, your, your body is, let's say, over here on your left hand, and if you put your right hand about a couple of inches away from your left hand, then you could say that that distance there's a gap between there. So any information, let's say, that can be sent from the right hand that the left hand can't see, it still has a, a but there's still loss, signal loss, as we call it in audio, right? As something travels over the cable, the longer the cable, the more loss. So there's still signal loss in the signal being transmitted. But this idea, and like he talked about, um, takes away the middleman or the gap, the signal loss, because then it plugs you directly into this system that's going that operates on the technical. And maybe it's all technical, you know? But there is something going on here that feels like there's something deeper in us that we can acknowledge at least and find this middle path through all the fucking noise on the outside in whatever way you need to do that. And I have no advice. I can tell you what I did, but it was a shit show. So I don't know if I'd recommend it, but, and I'm still on this path like all of us, right? But when you look at it that way, you can say, okay, well, there's a realm around here that maybe by, let's say, lowering your vibe, and this can affect you physically, and I promise I'm getting to my question here. This, this can affect you physically. So let's say like, like physically bombarding people, let's say with sugars, let's, we know what they're doing to the skies, the foods, the waters, all that. But let's say back in the day um, when they didn't have access to fluoride in mass quantities to put in your water, maybe there were these specialized ways of going about that. And perhaps also this had a dual purpose, meaning that you would invite things in from this unseen realm to just go about and inhabit people that were already in sort of a disposition, right? again, maybe let's let's just say for a physical, the mental example I had when you were speaking about this was the atomic bomb tests with the um, soldiers sitting in these trenches, right? These laughable waves of radiation go over these folks. And like, what was that though? Was that a wave of the ripple of through time and space that anything that crossed that was an in, where an entities were just being flooded into this place? So it basically pops a hole. People talk about like the firmament busting open. Maybe it's something like that, and that's what atomic weapons gave us the access to, because I don't know about you, but since the 40s that we know from our his story, um, it, it's taken short, sort of a shit show turn from that. And it seems the more atomic tests and all these kinds of things, maybe we're sort of ghostbustering 
inviting things in that we don't have a visual acuity to defend ourselves against or even to know exists or that are there at all. You're gaslit constantly from it saying that they don't exist and all this other stuff. And then you're bombarded with a myriad of a confusing information. So I suppose the question is, is what do you think about that idea that atomic bombs basically rip a hole in some sort of fabric that then invite uh, homunculi in to then just take over at whatever ability the individuals are able to process it. Then you think about these mm -hmm. Hiroshima and Nagasaki, all these things, heightened states, war, everybody's like fucked off, probably supply chains have been interrupted, people aren't eating well. All of these things contribute to this idea. Plus now we're talking atomic, you have vitrified glass, um, the Mojave back in the day. You, mm -hmm. you have a lot of instances that perhaps something of that magnitude occurred because then maybe, number one, there's more ways to do it. Number two, it, it does something else. So I, I'm sure there was a question for you to get out of that. But what do you think of all that? So first of all, the, the alcohol thing you mentioned at the beginning, the Sumerian word for altar is bar. And people consume wine nice. and spirits yeah. at bars, which is something to be, there's something to be said about that. But yeah, you're, you're onto something. And it just depends on which camp you're in, because some people think that atomic weapons are fake and gay. I, I personally don't believe that they are. I think that there is some something to that. And according to Falconelli in 1930-something, 19, 36 or something like that, he met with this guy, Bergier, and he told him something. He told him secrets. He had acknowledged the, the power of nuclear weapons before the Manhattan Project and the precursor to the... I believe CIA was actually looking for him before. Uh, so they were looking for this immortal alchemist, essentially, Falconelli, because he had revealed the secrets of essentially nuclear power, where he states that alchemists have had the power, this kind of power for centuries. So they were tapping into, like I said, something much that the government, <laughs> and if you always look throughout history, a lot of these courts and all these emperor, right, Queen Elizabeth, they always have their court of alchemists and they, they're, they're interested in this, right? Like this municipal occultism, right? That the government always wants to have their hand in this sort of technology because it is a sort of technology, but you're absolutely right. Because you got guys like Kenneth Grant that talking about these atomic weapons, opening up rifts in space and time. And there's that being the reason of these UFOs or UAPs, whatever you want to call it, which are actually entities and not crafts. Right. And I don't think that, I'm not in the camp that's been arising lately where it's, oh, it's, you know, it's a government psyop. It's like, well, that doesn't account for all of the, the right. You have Jack Valet that talks about elementals and like how this UFO phenomenon has been going, going back thousands of years. Like that wasn't a government psyop back then to those people. And this past last week, I released an episode on elemental entities and Paracelsian prophecies. And it was about that, about elementals and how there are these different layers of reality and these different entities that are able to interact with humans, essentially. But we can sometimes, how you said, tune ourselves into their frequency and, and vice versa. They can tune themselves into to our frequency and our realities and our dimensions will will like bump into each other. And that's how sometimes we're able to perceive certain things. And again, the stories of these elemental, these little creatures goes back thousands of years. I mean, you know, have your pick. If you if if you really look at any sort of story throughout history, kind of goes back to like these little people, the gnomes, the 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 sylphs, the the nymphs, like all these different ideas. And 
yeah, there's something to be said about that. But the whole idea that you're talking about, like them bringing forth here, I'll, I'll have, I'll give you this one. If, if we trace back the origins of alchemy, which is connected to the bloodline of Noah, which is connected to the watchers, the, it said that the watchers passed on this alchemical knowledge to the women in exchange for sex. Right. When this is Genesis, this is like typical Genesis. So hear me out. <laughs> That's so Genesis, dude. Yeah. That's so the, Old Testament. Yeah. The Nephilim, the watchers and the watchers, I believe, got their information from, well, they were watchers. Well, what were they watching? They were watching the divine alchemists at work. And we see this in the story of Enoch right? Enoch one, where he goes up and he's in this other dimension, watching these things at these entities at work, right? This angel's in charge of this part of the human, this angel's in charge of this other part of the human. And if you follow, if you follow that story, some people say two and three Enoch are, are no good, but if you follow the third one, well, what happens to our boy Enoch at the end of that? He becomes Metatron, this lesser Yahweh, this little Yahweh, he sits at the throne next to God. And I think that as humans, I think that's the that's the knowledge that they that they don't want us to get to. And I think that's why these books, like the Book of Enoch, are non-canon because it's the good stuff, it's the esoteric, it's the occulted stuff that eh, kind of doesn't really line up with their narrative. So they're just going to keep it out there. But hey, we might reference it once or twice in the, in the Old Testament. It doesn't matter. But hey, keep that on the DL. But at the end of all that, our boy Enoch, he becomes this controller of reality. He becomes this angel, this overseer. And I think that's what they're trying to keep us away from that sort of knowledge where, again, according to alchemy, you dissolve out of reality, but let's take it a step further. Let's say that these Nephilim, these watchers, right? They passed it on in exchange for sex of these women. Well, why'd they want to have sex? Well, according to some lore, they were actually sylphs. They were actually air elementals. And according to the mer according to the lore, which the Golden Dawn had a ritual to marry elementals and humans together. According to the lure, if an elemental is able to marry a human, they're able to, uh, to create a soul, a mortal soul. So they're able to solidify themselves in this reality if they're able to enter in a marriage with a human. So that's one of the things. But let's let's go ahead. What if, what if they gave this knowledge to man, right, to these women? And they say that Noah and his sons were also in charge there. And you can trace allegedly the, the Hermes Trismegistus to the bloodline of Noah and, all, and his sons and all that. Well, what if the Nephilim gave this knowledge to humans as a failsafe in order to then, right? Because some scholars say that homunculus are artificial demons or are vessels for demonic entities to inhabit. Well, we know that the Nephilim got what? They got wiped out. And they were pissed and energy cannot be created nor destroyed. It can only be transformed. So let's say that these things are still in the aether in the right in, in this, in another realm that we can't quite tune into, but what if they're able to again, enter vessels that are willingly able that, that are willing, willingly accepting them or what if they enter these homunculus? Because one of the ethical reasons back then you had these stories where these alchemists would create a homunculus, right? They're like, oh, I just created a new, a new one. Here he is. And he's showing him off to his friends. And then boom, he just, he just smashes and kills it. And they're like, yo, what are you doing, bro? This, that was a homunculus. He's like, hey, listen, I don't know if God died for that homunculus of sins. I don't know if 
the devil's going to possess it. I don't know if a demonic entity is going to possess it. So I kill it because again, I'm just here to practice alchemy. And I don't know if God is going to be happy with me creating these homunculi. So I believe that maybe part of this alchemical lore was for these Nephilim to have a sort of fallback. It's like, Hey, you can never get rid of us because we're going to have this secret society of people that we're going to train in order to bring us back through these alchemical means. And if there's a book I read one time where it's called the, the secrets of subtle energy, I think it's what it's called. And it talks about the power of initiation in that book. And it talks about how initiation is actually you attaching yourself to a, another entity to keep that entity alive. And if you really, if you really, again, for the sake of conversation, if you, if you expand outwards, if you, if we zoom outwards, right, to the macro, if you look at all these major religions, it's just, that's just for the sake of conversation. All the, and I'm not trying to discredit anybody, but let's look at all these pools that all these major religions can pull from, these pools of energy they can tap into. And they're making people go to church on Sunday, every single Sunday or whatever, whatever day it is, pick your, have your pick. And they're doing rituals every single once, twice, three times a week. And they're using that energy. You send that energy out, comes right back even stronger the next Sunday. And you send it right back out. And I can attest to the power of the Holy Spirit because I've, I've seen it. I've felt the Holy Spirit. I, I, born and raised Pentecostal and a lot of people know that, but when the Holy Spirit is in the house, you feel it. Uh, you feel this energy, this thing when everyone is in unison and everyone is is doing their thing all at once. You feel a sort of energy, something in the air. You said you could cut it with a knife, right? Well, you feel that. And I've I used I played guitar for my church for many years, and I went around the Florida playing at, at juvie centers, other churches, concerts, all that stuff. Played guitar, and when when it got going, you could feel it. So, what what are they tapping into? They call it the Holy Spirit. Somebody else might call it something else. Somebody else over there might call it something else. And I believe it manifests itself differently to whatever your intentions are. Whatever you align yourself during your ritual is what it's going to manifest itself. Now, with that being said, one of the things that the Golden Dawn had trouble with when they were trying to marry elementals and humans was, hey, how do we know we have a good elemental versus a bad elemental or a demonic entity? or a succubus, or an incubus. Well, we don't have the tech to detect, right? We don't have the tech to detect if it's a good spirit or a bad spirit. So it's kind of like, you got to do the right things. You got to do all these other things to make sure you protect yourself from having a bad one come in and try to inhabit whatever body or whatever vessel. You know what I'm saying? So again, that's why I have the utmost respect for the occult. I think it's a real thing. I think there's something to be said about it, even if it is all mental. And if it is all mental, that makes it even more dangerous because that just shows you how powerful your mind is. The placebo effect is a very real thing. And that's true magic. That is real magic. And that's the, that is what all occultists throughout all of history have been wanting to do. They want to enact a change in reality, in real time, a real change through the use of these of these mechanisms that they're using. So the mind changes something and has a biological change within people real time with the placebo effects. So there's something to be said about that. And to me, that's the true magic. And I think that's what people strive for. And not maybe like the placebo effect, like healing yourself, but that aspect of, 
of pouring your mind into something so hard. That's what prayer is essentially. I mean, you're you're asking for help from from theurgy. You're asking for help from outside sources to to make a change in your reality. But yeah, let's just say for one second that these Nephilim entities or whatever gave this tech to humans as a sort of failsafe. And yeah, you, you could be absolutely right, bro. Maybe that's why we're having all this craziness that that's going on in the world right now, because certain certain occultists have hinted throughout history. And, and I have my own theories of like World War One, because all these world wars happen consecutively, right? Like boom, boom, boom. Well, what if again some people made packs with the other side and were like, "Yo, here's here's you can have these sacrifices." You know what I'm saying? Like here, because if you look at the whole Ed, John D and Edward Kelly, it always seems that these entities on the other side give the same message, like, "Yo, you know, essentially John D and Edward Kelly were like, hey, we want to create a new world order.' Essentially, is what it was a one world religion is what they wanted to create." Enough so that they were like, hey, listen, if we do this for these angels, they're going to give us the secrets. They went to Rudolph the second and were like one of the most powerful emperors. And we're like, hey, you're demonically possessed. All right. How do we know? The angels told us. All right. And he was like, again, he was very open minded because if that was any other emperor in history, they would have been beheaded. But since he was so open minded and Prague is like a magical place. He was like, all right, I'll hear him out. And he didn't really say anything back, but it got to a point where he told him to get out or else. <laughs> so there's something to be said about that. These things on the other side always kind of sort of have the same message. Like, hey, give, give up your nuclear weapons or, hey, you know, do this or do that. It's like kind of sort and they're perverts too, man. These things on the other side, <laughs> they just want to have sex with people. It, it's fucked off and it's your intuition would be the tech that we have, perhaps, you know, but it's the interesting part about this realm and the time that we find ourselves is it, it's so gaslit against you that anything miraculous is out here. I mean, you're able to pick it up through things like I've been looking into the UFO phenomena for well over 20 years and it's just fascinating. I mean, just the whole idea, right? The whole bend in reality like you had yours with the Bermuda Triangle. Um, and so it, it seems to be this idea that something amazing is going on here. But again, we live in a very, I find... Um, superficial world in the sense that it's so repetitively laid out for you in the way that it works, the way it operates. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I feel like a good amount of your time here is finding out what's not true, that's being bombarded, what you're being bombarded with. And from there, then you can begin the process of alchemy, which is alchemy the whole time, and it's about the journey and blah. But what I mean to say is, is it's this interesting process of really just finding out what the fuck is not going on here and weeding that out. And then from there, you can maybe start on your journey of self-discovery. But again, through that process, they're kind of, they're not mutually exclusive. I, I do have a question for you. Um, I wanted to know, I kind of wanted to challenge you a bit because I'm not a dreamer, as they say. Um, in the astral world, I don't really recall my dreams. So maybe I'm doing something super covert and awesome. I'm not ruling it out that I just can't remember, right? But I, I have a question for you because of your ability to dream in the way that you do, as well as your discipline uh, is to look at the plate like study one plate or you've probably already done this maybe one plate like a month and just see what you get after staring at that thing for five minutes before you go to sleep every night one plate and then going to sleep on it and then waking up and seeing what that looks like and seeing if really spending time deliberate time on just one plate again just right before you go to bed to see if you could track some sort of insight that you get and some sort of rail up and then maybe 
that'd be a way that you could go about some of these really deep insights. And maybe if you start studying a couple of them to that level and degree, which again, I'm not ruling out that you have, maybe they overlay sort of like what I was talking about with Iron Man. Maybe there's something to the specific plates needing to be almost background removed in Canva and overlaid on one another to perhaps lay out a physical sign that you can actually see that maybe they didn't have the ability to do because of tech back then. Um, it, it may be something interesting. I'm just curious to see if you'd studied one in particular, what messages because you were drawing such information out of one that you were studying. I just find it interesting, dude. So I have, a, I have, I have like two, two things that I could teach you about to make you remember your dreams. The The first one that I'll share with you, I could share with you on air quickly. Please. And the second one, I'll tell you off air because it's kind of crude. But sure. the the first one is called the Pythagorean recollection. And what you do is before you go to bed, you lay down, right? And you're in a relaxed state and you replay your day backwards. Okay. You replay your day backwards and you try and remember every single. So start off small at first, right? First, start off with, you know, like what you did in the morning. And then from, you know, from 12 o'clock to the time you woke up, right? Try, try start small to, to try and remember. And then after the fact, you know, go from five o'clock and back and then eight o'clock and back. And then, you know, whatever time it is, you go to sleep from that time, all the way from when you woke up, try to remember, and it's going to help you. And then I have this other one. It's again, it's going to unlock. It's going to help you remember your out of what yeah, it, great. I don't know. Thank you. I don't know. I'll, I'll definitely try it out. Thank you. Yeah. And I'll let you know about the other one that helped me and I always get made fun of it. But it's again, it's very, it sounds wild, but it, it, it works. You're welcome to say it on air. You're not censored in any way, but if you'd rather not, you're not pressured to. All right. I'll tell it because it's kind of fun. <laughs> okay. But so essentially you're supposed to lay down and this is called the skull fuck method. All right. Okay. Tell you, it's weird. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You're supposed to lay down dead man, right? With your hands up this, you're going to, you're going to relax and you're going to get to the point where you're, you know, when you get to the point where you're kind of relaxed and you're going to visualize your, your body. You're going to visualize your toes and everything. And you're going to resist the urge to move. Right? You're going to res resist the urge to, to scratch your nose, to itch your head, whatever it is. And you're just going to lay there until you just kind of are, right? You can kind of sort of acknowledge your body, but not really. And then after you're done with that, you're going to imagine... I'll st stick with me. You're going to imagine uh, a blue phallus, right? So a huge blue dick mm -hmm, just mm -hmm. coming up from the soles of your feet. All right. And it's going to start. You're going to, you're going to visualize it illuminating blue, whatever color. It doesn't have to be a dick. It can be whatever you want. But the, the way I learned was a, a phallus, right? So a big, a huge dick. And I think of like the watchman guy where it's got a huge dick. Yeah. And then he's going to come up the soles of your feet. And it's going to illuminate your body as it goes up. And when it gets to the bottom of your spine, you're going to watch it illuminate every single vertebrae all the way up through your spine until, until it inserts itself into the bottom of your skull. Hence the skull fuck method. I see. Now, try that. And a couple again, of questions I've, here, just for visualization purposes. <laughs> and is it a giant urethra that I'm being succumbed by? Like, is it wrapping no. me up? Okay. Is it coming at me like a wand, like being raised over me, like waving around? Like it's not attached to anyone because you specifically said just the dick. Yeah. So is it just the dick, like uh, someone's fozzying a dildo over you sort of, but you can't see what's holding it? 
No, I envision it like the dildo, like penetrating, I guess it's weird, but penetrating like the soles of my feet and just like this ethereal dick just going all the way up into the base of my skull. So you're getting skull fucked. (laughs) I see. Okay. But your head's sort of sticking out of it. Like, uh, like if you put a little sprinkle from ice cream, like just on the tip there, like, is is, is that what you're talking about to where your head's just sticking out there? And then that's, that's the sweet spot. You're supposed to envision it going into like the, you know, the, the bottom of your skull. You know how it's like a crevice kind of sort of like in there. Oh, okay. and that's as far as you're supposed to go. Again, I, I'm usually asleep by the time, but I, bro, I, I, I promise you I've had people I've talked about on my show a few times and I've had people do it and they're like, what is this? Like, and you're able to train yourself to recollect your dreams up to like 90% of the time. And I was doing it for a long while. And I remember that I had like, I guess, forgotten that I was doing this thing. And I was remembering my dreams to the T to where I could interact in my, not like an astral projection type. And I'm not talking about that, like in the dream state in the, while I was asleep, I was manipulating my dream and I was an astral projector. I wasn't, I couldn't look down and see my body. And I was in this realm this other thing i would be able to manifest things in that realm now if you mix the plate things with it i've never done it to that extent where i meditate upon a plate but i've gone to the to the you know my courses now are asking me to really meditate upon pieces and i'm going to try it to see if there is something to it but i believe it's when you're tired right when you're in this in this state of you're about to go and cross over to the other state of, of deep sleep. I think that our bodies, our minds at least are going places. If you're able to recollect that or not, that, that, that uh, recollect that or not, that's, that's something else. But I do believe that going into these other right theta and all these different states or right, these waves of sleep, those are the portals. Those are us maybe aligning ourselves to these other dimensions and some people are better than others at being able to recollect whatever happened in that spectrum, right? For lack of a better term, and able to interact with whatever is going on there. And that would account for a lot of maybe abductions. Maybe those people mm-hmm. were actually sleeping and they were tapping into something like, who knows? I mean, I think that there's a lot going on there when it comes to this abduction phenomenon. Like that's just one aspect of like another crazy, weird rabbit hole, if you will. Right, when it comes to elementals and all these different things, but yeah, try those two things. Anyone listening, maybe if the penis one isn't for you, then try the Pythagorean recollection one, you know, remembering your day backwards, start off small and then build up and you're supposed to be able to start remembering. Now, the other one I've heard it called like sexual gnosis. I've heard other people say it's, it's Masonic in nature. Again, it doesn't have to be a penis. It could be whatever you want. You know, some people are like, Oh, that's gay. I don't want to, I was like, then, a sword or an arrow or something, any, anything else, whatever. The point is visualization and get in conditioning. But you have to, again, relax at first to where you're just laying there for a long while. And I don't know if you've ever like taken like a heavy indica where you can kind of feel your body, but you are, you can kind of like sort of turn, you can like do barrels like in your body, but your body is still put, you know what I'm saying? You don't, when you get that heavy, heavy indica, that kind of thing where you melt yeah, into the couch. That's the one where I thought a little guy was looking through my eyes. There was a tiny guy in me. Yeah. And we time so, traveled and I wrote it down a long time ago. Try those. Report back. Because I promise you, bro, it's gonna it's gonna do something. Something's gonna happen. But 
I'll report back. I mean, I'll, I'll meditate upon some plates. I got plenty of them and see what happens. I've, I've known our right, visionary artists do that a lot. That's ex- but they, some of them take substances to aid them in, in their journey, but there are the ones that are able to sit there and Austin Osman Spar, right. The, the father of chaos magic. One of the practices that he talked about that always got to me was when you stare into a mirror, and you stare long enough to where everything else starts to get hazy, like around the picture, and you start to focus. And you said that there's something that happens when, when, right when you're about to cross over that, that sort of like dissolving out of your ego or something happens at that point in time, when you start to not recognize the reflection, looking back at you, something weird, yeah. but again, he was a weird guy. So <laughs> it's something about that. And almost when you're about to fall asleep, sometimes you get into those states where, start to get these crazy ideas and and me what's helped me a lot is i have a stylus on my phone dude and i like sometimes i'll whip out the stylus and i'll just start writing down like i'll just write down a crazy idea right like oh i just woke up let me just write down this crazy idea that way i don't forget it because sometimes those things they come and as soon as they come that's as fast as they go so i think that you have to again use technology to your benefit and that's how i use my scrying mirror uh, for my benefit, I have a pen on mine and I write stuff down and I've gotten a lot of ideas. I, dude, I've gotten the the father of the supercomputer. He said that whenever he was stuck on a problem, he would go and he had this hobby of digging tunnels under his house. And he said that little, little elves would visit him and help him solve his problems. And I remember doing an episode and talking about that. And I had a problem in real life that week and I went to sleep and I got the solution to my problem in my dream. And I woke up and I applied that solution in real life. What it, what was it? I don't know. It wasn't a little elf. I mean, I, I can tell you that much, but I was playing a scenario in my dream and I was like, Hey, why don't you just do this? Then I woke up and I'm like, that actually works. That would actually work the with the problem that I have. And it wasn't like a huge technical problem, but it was something that was so simple yet. I hadn't thought about it in the waking state, went to sleep. And in my dream, you know, the other Juan was like, Hey dude, do this. And then the Juan in this reality, you know, maybe that's why it's the Juan on Juan. This one did whatever yeah. the other Juan told him. And, and yeah, here we are. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. That's the one on one. It's the one with one, really. You know, yeah. uh, one with one's a great, you know, title for a show as well. You're one with yourself. I mean, that's that's awesome, man. Maybe do a series, one with one. And you're just discovering yourself. And maybe that you share some of these amazing ideas you get along the way. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's a dude, shout out to him with the name one-on-one podcast and i guess he started after me because i i wanted to take my name but i had beat him to it so yeah good job no no no. it was for you all along <laughs> it, it makes sense i mean it makes sense in all the ways yeah well and i and i'll say this man we're gonna cap it here um all the ways to find him of course located down in the show notes i could just talk to you forever which is why we're gonna do this and i just have to pee really bad so that's it uh but we can look forward to more of you i'm gonna invite you back on we actually do this frequency theorist panel thing thomas has joined us for one of those uh it's a bunch of musicians we get around and talk about all kinds of shit anywhere from Paul McCartney's not real to birds aren't real all that so um it, it's fun and we'll invite you for the next one of those man but dude in the meantime take care of yourself dude send us off with just something that keeps you moving forward because I find the motivating um words like yours would be the difference for somebody you know perhaps it's listening to this just saying fuck all of this uh just give us some kind words to sign us off man and we'll just look forward to greeting you next time brother Paracelsus once said that inside all of us is a little man 
right? And inside of us is a little homunculus. And before you can love yourself, you got to love your homunculus first. So again, uh, love, love yourself, love your homunculus, love everybody. Don't, I always tell people, don't be a piece of shit and just be, just be kind and, and good to one another. Right. And we're all here. Uh, we all bleed the same, right? There's no need for any of this division and, and you're playing into the reptilian overlord network, if you will, if you buy into these things. So yeah, just be good, be kind and have fun. <laughs> For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.